I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, The Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, What a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. This is God's word. Let me uh, add my welcome. Uh, my name is uh, Matt Fuller, one of the staff ministers here. We're turning back to the scriptures. And uh, actually, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1, but I'm just going to read a few verses from Hebrews chapter 10 before we really begin in Malachi. I'm going to read verses 11 to 18. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus Christ had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And when these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the one that we need, uh, the priest 
the sacrifice, the teacher that we need. So as uh, we turn and look back in Malachi history at your people then, would we, would you speak to us today? Would you strengthen our conviction and indeed our will to live our lives for our great high priest, Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. Amen. Do turn back that, if you will, to uh, Malachi chapter 1. And if you enjoyed us, we started to look then at the book of Malachi last Sunday morning and uh, here for the next few weeks. But this is not the most cheerful of passages, I have to tell you, uh, and you may have noted when Ginny Carney read it for us. What do you make of some of the statements here? Chapter 1, verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. God says, will you lock the doors and get out? You do more harm by gathering in my temple than not coming at all. Get out. That's not very comforting, is it? It's not sort of uh, perhaps the words we're always used to hearing, but he, on he will go. What do you make of chapter 2, verse 2? Um, the Lord is addressing the priests, the, the, the religious leaders of the community. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them. Because you've not resolved to honor me. Do you know what? I hate you so much, says the Lord. Every time you stand up and pronounce a blessing on the people, I curse them and I curse you. Oh dear. Ouch. Here is a group of believers. Well, it's not well, clearly, in Malachi's day. Now, if you are joining us today, we've, uh, we started then looking at this prophet uh, in the 5th century. He's, he's preaching at the end of the Old Testament period, around 450 BC. And it's a bit different to the earlier prophets. You know, if you go back to the 8th century BC and uh, sort of Isaiah in the south, Hosea, Amos in the north, they're condemning idolatry. People are running after different gods, false gods. Uh, here, that's not the issue. There's no issue with idols this time later. God's people have been judged, thrown out into exile. God has brought them back into the promised land. But it's all just a bit half-hearted. That's the issue in this book. They're just going through the motions of following the Lord. And there's no real engagement at all. In Friday's paper, there was one of these, I don't know what quite produced it, but one of those slightly odd articles... What are the 10 worst phoned-in performances by great actors? Uh, and there's a phrase, a sort of idiom we use all the time, and there's, oh, he's just, he just phoned in that performance. You know, a very impressive actor, whoever it may be, but just can't be bothered. Uh, and uh, if you want to know, I won't go through them all, but uh, the worst was Tommy Lee Jones from Blown Away, apparently, so don't go and see that. If you've never seen that, or get it on DVD. If you think, oh, late one night, what's on telly? Oh, Tommy Lee Jones, he's a good actor, don't watch that one. Uh, it's the worst performance. But yet we use that phrase, don't we? They've just phoned it in. The actor turns up on a movie set and thinks, well, I've been given a duff script. This is a rubbish film. I'm just not interested. But we'll go through the motions. You put money in my bank account, and I'll turn up and mumble through my lines, and on we go, and hopefully the next one will be a bit better. He's phoned in his performance. Well, here in Malachi, you have phoned in worship, as it were. 
People arrive, what is it? Yeah, okay, mumble, 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 off we go, and they're done. No one thinks it's worthwhile. No one thinks it's achieving anything. No one's particularly pleased uh, to have been involved. It's just phoned in. Might not have bothered being here. So this is Malachi. The people saying, well, good. So you've saved me for heaven. That's good. Uh, but Lord, here on earth, I'm just going to go through the motions. Let's make a deal. I'll, I'll sort of, you leave me alone. I'll sort of rumble through and turn up every now and again for church. Uh, and then I'll see you in heaven. All right? Is that, all right? Is that okay? No. Malachi is an unusual book. 47 out of 55 verses are the Lord speaking. And uh, we said last time, it's, it's basically six speeches that go a bit like this. God says, he makes a statement. The people say, oh, what are you talking about? Uh, and then he explains. So uh, just in, in this section, you can see, well, just look over the page. Chapter 2, verse 17. God makes a statement. Chapter 2, 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Oh, have we done that? Have we wearied him? The people ask. We look last time at the most fundamental one, beginning the book, chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Oh, have you loved us? And this morning we come to uh, chapter 1, verse 6. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. End of verse 6. But you ask, well, have we done that? Have we shown contempt for your name? And that's the sort of structure of the book. Now, we said last time, it begins by the people doubting God's love. And that is the problem behind all the others. If you're clear on the Lord's love for you, then you will serve him rightly. But they doubt that. Uh, And so we come to this one. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 6, you have shown contempt for my name. Now, just to be clear, that's a bit more than dissing him. What's your name? Egbert. Oh, it's a funny old name. What's your name, God? Yahweh. Yahweh. It's not even got any vowels in it, the way you pronounce it. What's all that about? It's a funny name. It's not just being rude about someone's name. The, the name of someone, particularly in Hebrew thinking, is who they are. So to show contempt for the Lord's name is to doubt his character. As he reveals himself, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, is to show a lack of respect for his character and for his presence. Because in the culture of this time, they're offering sacrifices at the temple, which is, in effect, God's embassy here on earth. It's where he dwells representatively, covenantly, intensely, you might say. And they're showing contempt for his name. So it's a bit like, I guess, in one sense, you turn up for dinner at someone's house. People invite you and say, it's a very special occasion in our house. Uh, Please come over. We'd love to celebrate with you, whatever it may be, Thanksgiving or Christmas, whatever it is. We'd love you to come over and celebrate with us. Uh, And you turn up with, uh, well, half a can of cider that's gone flat and one of those metal tins with a bit of takeaway curry left and say, this is for you. Oh, but we can't stay long. We've got 20 minutes because we've got someone more interesting to see. That would be offensive if you turned up for dinner like that. And the Lord says, I'm offended by how you come before me. Two ways. Two ways, really, of showing contempt uh, for God's name. I've scribbled them down on the sheet. There's lame sacrifices, chapter 1, 6 to 14, and then irreverent instruction. Now, the complaint is primarily against the religious leaders, the priests, but as we'll see, it applies to the people as well. So two ways, they dishonor, show contempt for the Lord's name. Lame sacrifices, irreverent instruction. 
Let's take the big turn. First then, lame sacrifices. Chapter 1, verse 6 down to 14. The way this works, verses 6 to 9 are really attacking the priests, 10 to 14 the people. That's how it goes. Let's read it. Chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. Look, you, you, you get relationships generally. Your fathers, you honor. Your employers, you, you show deference to. And yet to me, the Lord... Well, you showed me contempt. Verse 6. Well, how have we shown you contempt, Lord? The priests ask. I'll tell you how, verse 7. By offering defiled food on my altar. Well, how have we done that? What's wrong with these sacrifices, these animal sacrifices that we bring and offer? Well, let me explain, verse 8. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? You wouldn't do that anywhere else. Now, the Old Testament is very clear. They brought a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. You offered your best. So particularly the book of Leviticus, chapter 22, goes on and on about it. Don't bring anything with a defect as an offering. It will not be accepted. Do not offer the blind, the lame, the injured. So they've been told explicitly, you, when you make an offering to the Lord of an animal, you offer your best. Uh, and they were bringing roadkill sacrifice. Here, our Lord, is a squirrel with some tire marks on it. Will that do? We'll just chuck that on the, on the altar and, and you have that as a sacrifice. Um, brilliant. I didn't have to pay for anything this week when I brought my offering. It was just a bit of roadkill. No, you're offering your dregs, your leftovers. Well, verse 8, try offering those to the governor. Let's just, just again, let's take a secular example. Would you do that? Uh, the governor over the land at the moment, if you wanted to come before him and ask him for something, um, that should be the same. But you wanted to ask your MP or your lobbying politicians. And you said, look, guys, it's, it's, a, it's a great honor to meet you. Here's, well, here's half a cat that I found dead in the road. Here's half a pigeon that have been chewed over. Well, thanks for that. No, we don't offer animal sacrifices. I, I guess more likely for you and me, your employer says, um, oh, look, can you do this work for a client? It'll take you about two weeks probably to do it properly. Here's two weeks' work for a client. And you knock it off in five minutes and hand it back. Well, what is that? Well, it's done. Yeah, but it's completely inappropriate. What is that? You asked me to do it, I've done it. Or you just decide to apply for a new job. And uh, so you, you, you think, oh, a CV. What, what am I meant to do? Please send in a CV with the covering letter. Okay, uh, CV. Um, and all, you put your name at the top, and then you just type, employ me, I'm great. And you send it in. Mm, you're not going to get very far. You just wouldn't do that in your secular life, would you? You just wouldn't do that, says the Lord. And yet that's what you're doing to me. You're just going through the motions. You're just treating me with contempt. And what do you think I make of that? Verse 9. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. Have a go. Go on. When, when, you're, when you're offering the Lord just the dregs, the butt end of your time, the fag end of your gifts. Well, let's see how that goes. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With those sort of offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? No. He will not. 
That's the priests, the people meant to be leading. Chapter, verses 10 to 14 is just the people overall. And God says, I'll just get out. Verse 10, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. Now in the future, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord, but I don't need you. You don't treat me that way, verse 12. You profane it, my name by saying the Lord's table is defiled, its food is contemptible, and you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously. Here are people who they gather, let's modernize it, they gather for church and they say, verse 12, well, this is just a waste of time, isn't it? What are we bothering here? Verse 13, do we have to? Really? <sighs> what a drag. You sniff contemptuously. Verse 13 onwards. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? No. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty. My name is to be feared among the nations. Now, we don't offer animals anymore upon a altar of fire to the Lord. So, so what? Let me try and put it in these terms for you and me. Broadly, broadly, there are three types of sacrifice in the Old Testament, okay? There's an offering for sin. You've sinned, you need to offer an animal to die instead of you. Secondly, there are thanksgiving offerings, just things you offer, and you, you offer things like a wheat on the fire, and it's basically just saying, hey, I can have a meal with God. That's cool. Uh, I'm really grateful for that. So we're just having a meal together. So there are sin offerings, there are thanksgiving offerings. And then thirdly, what you might just call sacrificial offerings. You just come and bring your animal and say, look, I love you, Lord, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go without, just for you. I don't need to do this, but I'm doing it because I love you. Broadly, those three categories in the Old Testament, and all of them, it seems, in Malachi 1, are going wrong. So what does that mean for you and me? Sin offerings, first. Well, the Christian knows that they don't need to offer anything for sin. Hebrews 10, the whole book there, will tell us there was for one time a perfect offering for sin. Jesus died once for all to pay for everything you and I could possibly do wrong and have done wrong. There is no sacrifice for sin anymore. Jesus has done it all. Wonderful. Secondly, thanksgiving offerings. Well, the New Testament talks of them. So, uh, uh, again, Hebrews 13 would say, offer your sacrifice of praise. Just speak delight of him. We looked a couple of weeks ago, Philippians chapter 4, where Paul describes the gift of money as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. So one, you and I never offer a sacrifice for sin, but two, we do offer sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's our, our lips. That's our money. Third, sacrificial offerings. Well, I think that's just giving of yourself. So in New Testament language, it's the sort of Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
Just give of yourself. Or as Paul put it in Philippians 2.15, I, I offer my own life as sacrifice, joyfully. A drink offering. So did you see those three categories in the Old Testament and the New? Broadly, you, one, you and I never offer a sacrifice for sin. Jesus has done that. Two, we do offer thanksgiving offerings. How we speak of the Lord. What we do with our money. Three, our lives are his. And so Malachi 1 would say, are your offerings acceptable to the Lord? Today, above all days, we think of sacrifice and how many would have paid the ultimate sacrifice for a cause they believed in. Where is your sacrifice, says the Lord? I guess the question you and I would want to know is, Uh, The things we give, the things we do for the Lord, are they sacrifices that are acceptable to him? Or does he look upon us and say, I hate that. Don't bother with that. I curse you when you do that. For the Christian, the Christian knows he's always forgiven. By the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But here are some things I guess Malachi 1 would make us ask. Here are three little ways of assessing, I guess, how well we're doing with our sacrifices. Verse 8 would say, are you offering your best or your leftovers? With your time, with how you speak of the Lord, with your money, is it your best? Do you think of him first? Or do you just give him some roadkill that costs you nothing? A second little assessment probably would be verse 13. When we make a sacrifice or an offering to the Lord, is it resentful or is it joyful? It's a burden to them. When we give of our time, is it, oh, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to put my hand in my pocket. I really don't. I begrudge this. Or is it joyful? It's joyful sacrifices, the ones that he takes delight in. Uh, and verse 3, I guess, uh, I don't know quite. A third way of assessing is probably uh, verse 14. Is there integrity to what we say and what we do? Don't be someone who pledges one thing and then gives much, much less. Verse 14. Do you intend to give sacrificially but end up giving lamely? What does it cost? It's one of those things, Samuel, um, on Samuel 22. David says, I will not make offerings to the Lord which cost me nothing. He understood where Malachi was coming from. Well, let me just read you this. It's a brief bit of a poem. Uh, the thing I've enjoyed reading more than anything else in, on Malachi is a commentary about Peter Adams. It's a super little thing. Anyone could read that. Uh, he quotes this poem, which uh, struck me. We may have it. I don't know if you can read that on my screen. Have you no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. Oh, I hear people sing of you as mighty in the land. I hear them hail your bright ascendant star. Have you no scar? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me. But you are whole. Can he have traveled far who has no wound or scar? 
If you understand me, says Jesus, you take up your cross and follow me. You make sacrifices. And if you don't do that, you've not traveled far in the Christian life. You're really not getting it, not understanding. No wounds, no scar, no sacrifices which cost. Oh, oh dear. Lame sacrifices, Malachi condemns. And secondly, more briefly, he condemns irreverent instruction, which is uh, the priests in chapter 2, 1 to 9. I'll push this quite quickly. I mean, he's really attacking teachers. Uh, The priests had two jobs in the Old Testament. One, to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Two, to teach the people, to educate them the law, and they're failing in both. They're failing here. And so as we've read, he's very blunt, I'm going to curse your blessings. Or verse 3, this is pretty brutal, isn't it? Because of you priests, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. Oh, so into the temple courts come the sheep and and the bulls and the rams, and they pool over the floor, and I'm going to rub your face in it, says the Lord. He's trying trying to wake them up a little bit. The Bible is probably, the English is probably more polite than the Hebrew at this point, you'd have to say. I'd get into trouble for sort of literally translating it, I would imagine. But he's trying to wake them up. I do care about how you're acting, he says. By contrast, let's talk about the one who, let's talk about Levi. So one to four, he's condemning the priests there. Let's talk about Levi. He got it right. Uh, Verse five, my covenant was with him, Levi, uh, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This, This called for reverence, and he revered me, and he stood in awe of my name. In particular, what two things did Levi get really, really right? Verse six, true instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Two things that Levi really got right. One, he taught the truth. True instruction. And two, he lived in uprightness. He got those two things really, really right. But what about you lot, he says. Back to you priests. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty. People seek instruction from his mouth. What about you, priests? Verse 8, but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. Your teaching's terrible. Verse 9, so I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. They don't walk uprightly. I loved Levi. He gave true instruction to the people, and he lived by it himself. And I hate you lot, because you don't teach the truth, and you're partial in how you apply it. You don't live uprightly, he says to the teachers of his day. Ouch. Now, we don't need to look very far, I'm sad to say, to find... Plenty of churches where the true instruction of the Lord is not there. I don't know what goes on in someone's heart, and that's a wonderful thing to not know that. Uh, This week, my son had a a service with his school. It was a school service at Westminster Abbey. 
uh, which is all very grand, and uh, uh, choristers were in fine voice, etc., etc. And they, it was a service that had a Bible reading. The Bible reading was Psalm 19. What a lovely thing to have read. You know, the law of the Lord is uh, perfect, reviving the soul, more precious than gold, the much pure gold. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. The law of the Lord. It's magnificent, God's law. And, and what does it do? Uh, well, it, it reveals the truth to you. So the, the, the psalmist will pray, forgive my hidden faults, keep your servant from willful sins. Just a magnificent text. And the sermon? (laughs) The sermon to a load of aspirational children and their aspirational parents was never be content. Always strive for more. Reach for the stars. Now that is a message which is very popular, I guess, with aspirational children and aspirational parents. You've got to be some sort of magician or contortionist to make Psalm 19 say that. Never be content. Never. Always be restless for more. You know what I'm when we looked at Philippians? It's kind of the opposite. What are you saying? I don't know what's going on with him. The, go, the bloke who spoke. But as I read Malachi 2... If I was him, that would make me nervous. That the Lord is not happy if there is not true instruction. He'll rub my face in, well, you understand. I like most people. I'm a frail human being. I like to be popular. I don't like to upset people. Of course, of course, that's true. Uh, Many here, in different ways, in small groups, home groups, cafes, international cafes, all sorts of things during the week. We're sharing God's word with one another. Uh, None of us like to say the awkward things. We all like to say things which people will enjoy. Uh, And yet Malachi would say, verse 7, anyone who's teaching... Their lips ought to preserve knowledge because he's a messenger of the Lord Almighty. It matters. Here there were two ways. Two ways they were showing contempt for the name of the Lord. Lame sacrifices cost them nothing. And secondly, irreverent instruction and neither honored the name of the Lord. So let me put it to you. What we need is a better priest and a better lawgiver. Let me finish with this. We need a better priest and a better lawgiver. The danger is something like, for, for Christians, the danger is you come to something like Malachi and um, we, beat, we beat ourselves up a little bit. We feel a bit ashamed. Yeah, actually, my sacrifice is for the Lord. Well, well, they don't cost me anything, really. I mean, they are the fag ends of my money and the fag ends of my time and it's all a bit roadkill, if I'm honest. We could beat ourselves up. We think we must do better. We, we must just give a little bit more of our time, of ourselves. We must just be a little more engaged when we come to church, a little less going through the motions, as it were. We, we could say that. But actually, what we need is a better priest and a better lawgiver so that our hearts are turned to him, so we desire to give of our very best to him. We need a better priest, a better lawgiver. We need Jesus Christ. Which is why we read Hebrews chapter 10. We won't read it all again. But in Hebrews 10, at the end of a big block, 
the writer concludes and says, you know the great high priest, he does two very wonderful things in the, new, in the new covenant that you never got in the old covenant. He not only teaches you, he writes laws upon your heart by his spirit. He changes you within. You never got that before. And secondly, the sacrifice he offers on your behalf, he did it once for all. You don't need to keep offering any more. I will remember their sins no more. Those two wonderful things. Spirit within, so the law is written on your heart. Definitive forgiveness, a sacrifice once and for all. Now, if you know those things, then you know you have every reason to offer everything to Jesus Christ. Or in Malachi's language, we do need to know more than anything else, chapter 1, verse 2, that the Lord loves us. You need to have him in place first. Let me just draw three disjunctives. Is that the word? Uh, oh, before, well, and then we'll finish. I'm not sure I've got the right word there. Three, three, three ways that the Lord's love is different from our love. Malachi 1 is a call to offer sacrifices to him because he has sacrificed everything for us. But let me just show you those three things are not parallel. Just three, then we're done. First is this. The Lord's love is not a needy love. It's a giving love. We need his sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need our sacrifices. But he enjoys them. But there's a real difference between those two. There's an imbalance there. God has never needed humanity. His love gives to horrible people like us. Our love is responding to wonderful God like him. Do you see those are not equal? It's a complete imbalance there. We need him. He doesn't need us. So when we offer things, it's great. But we do so because he's provided for our greatest of needs. That's the first thing. He's not a needy love. It's a giving love. Uh, second, the difference between him and us. It's not a fickle love, his love. It's a constant one. So even here in Malachi chapter 2, he says, I hate you. I want to rub your faces in the... But you know what? I made a promise. And I'm going to keep my promise. I made a covenant. And so despite your appalling behavior, I will hold on to you. It's a constancy of love. I mean, his love at times, of course, that love manifests in rebuking, in, in chastening, in warning. But it is love. The love that we show him, oh, it comes and goes. We're fickle, he is constant. That's the second. Third is this. His is not a passive love. It is utterly transforming. Well, we offer a sacrifice to the Lord. It's nice. It pleases him. It doesn't change him. It doesn't affect him in that sense because he doesn't need us. But his sacrifice for us in Jesus Christ, well, that results in the law being written upon our hearts. That is utterly transforming. So you do see, don't you, when Malachi calls you to sacrifice for him, when Malachi says, well, in the words of that poem, no scars, no wounds for following me. Oh, yeah, they're, they're thanksgiving to him. Because his wounds, his scars, done everything for us. If you know you have a priest and a lawgiver as Jesus Christ, if you really know that, 
Well, then you'll want to say, I bring you my best, Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, here are strong words and a strong warning that you hate people going through the motions. You despise half-heartedness. We thank you that living this side of the cross, we know there's, there's no need for us to offer sacrifice for sin. We have been forgiven once for all. Even our half-heartedness is forgiven. And yet, Father, you love it when our sacrifices are with a heart that loves you that cost and so demonstrate in real terms our love for you. So, Father, knowing that we have such a wonderful high priest in Jesus Christ, would we give our lives to serve him? Amen.